I am here to spread the radical notion that you are whole, complete, and perfect just the way you are. Welcome to the Way You Are Project podcast. I'm your host, Erica Ormanovich. Join me while we discuss all things health at every size, eating disorder recovery, and intuitive living with a goal to help you remember yourself back to yourself so you can live your biggest life possible. Wow. Hi, guys, and welcome to episode 19 of the Way You Are Project. I am Erica. Also, I'm working towards putting Prim into the ether, but I don't feel like recommissioning the artwork for the podcast, so we're going to feel it out. We're going to see what feels right. Anyway, I'm so excited to be here and be back with you all. And like I said on last week's episode, episode with Lucia, I'm not sure what the future of the podcast looks like, and I'm really just trying to feel it out and move with it intuitively. My experience with the podcast a a couple years ago was that I really enjoyed it and I really took off with it in the beginning and I got really deep into activism and it didn't always serve me in my personal life and activism is extremely exhausting, demanding, energetically, emotionally, mentally. It really takes a lot out of a person and I became a mother. I had two very young children And it was just not something that was sustainable for me anymore. And the podcast started to feel like a job, kind of took some joy out of it. And so I took a break and I came back and did an episode with you guys, um, only two episodes back. So when I found out I was pregnant with Sage and I had planned to continue it and I had some old episodes I wanted to release, which now I can't even find them. If I do, I will put them out. (laughs) But I, yeah, so I guess that just didn't happen. And I was pregnant and I was working and it was really difficult. And my pregnancy was overall okay. I was very grateful to have a healthy pregnancy and parts of it were challenging. And I don't remember exactly what I shared on that episode, how far I was. But, you know, and I can I can also link to a couple episodes of um, The Birth Hour which is a great podcast if you haven't listened to it yet. Totally recommend. I will link to it in the show notes. I did an interview with Bryn Hunt Palmer of The Birth Hour about both my birth stories and about my pregnancy. And specifically, we talked about eating disorder recovery and pregnancy. And it was very shortly after I had Sage, who I had at home, and it went great. And I loved I loved all of it. And then postpartum was really challenging really challenging for me and I thought it would be easier having gone through it already knowing what to look for and it still just kind of crept in like a gray cloud without realizing it and I honestly struggled for that entire year and I was working full-time and I was working with him and I don't know if any of you remember but I'm a Waldorf uh, a Waldorf child a Waldorf teacher so I work with very young children and back then I was working with three and four-year-olds And I love them and I loved them so much and I miss them so dearly. And they were at this like really amazing age and it was so fun and I was nursing a baby and I had him in the classroom and they were so great with him. They really were. But it was hard. It was still hard. And I had a 
three-year-old at home and a six-month-old and it was it was just so challenging and I don't think I realized how challenging it was at the time because I'm a very much a bootstrap it kind of girl and I did have people at work concerned about me or checking on me and you know everyone did their best including me and my husband and I had my first panic attack in February of 2019 and I will never forget that day and I have always struggled with anxiety in the sense of being an anxious person and having an anxious temperament and worrying about things, walking myself through catastrophes. Um, But I have never experienced physiological anxiety to that degree until that day. And my husband has always struggled with anxiety and panic attacks. And so when I had a panic attack, I felt like I was dying. I just felt like I was in another planet. I wasn't sure how to handle it. Everyone was like, oh, it's going to be fine. It's ending. You're just breathe. And I I couldn't convince myself that that was true. And I called my husband crying and he came and picked me up. And so anyway, it was very troublesome for me and confusing. And I saw, I started seeing a psychiatrist shortly after that. And I was on anxiety meds and, um, yeah, I just kind of started on this journey that I didn't even realize I was in. And it was just really hard. And I actually kind of want to acknowledge myself and give myself a little bit of grace here because I don't think I realized how much I was doing. I never, okay, I never realized how much I'm doing until I look back and I'm like, holy shit, like I was doing so much. And I still kept everyone alive, which... I say that half jokingly, but really keeping little kids alive is hard. So if you're a parent and your kids are alive, good job. Seriously. And like not seriously injured every day. Like if I go to bed at night and everyone's like whole or mostly whole, like we're good. Anyway, maybe I'll talk about that later. But so mostly today, I kind of just wanted to check in with you guys and let you know like what I've been up to, what's been going on in my life since the last episode. And honestly, it hasn't been super peachy. So I'm just going to kind of put that out there. And I'm okay with that. And I'm okay with sharing with that. But if that's not something that you want to hear or is interesting to you, great. And just listen next week when I put out, or maybe, I don't know when, (laughs) I put out the next episode. Um, And the best way to keep up with that is to go to the website, thewayyouareproject.com, scroll to the bottom, type in your email, do-do-do-do-do, and then you'll get an email every time there's an episode, and you can be like, oh, that sounds interesting. Listen, or not, move on. And I love you anyway, and it's wonderful. So I kind of was just going to catch everyone up today and talk about a few things, including my new intro and why I've decided to kind of change how I'm looking at things and just kind of, I don't know, I just have grown so much in the past two years as one does and one should. Um, so yeah, so I struggled with anxiety and postpartum depression and of course having had an active eating disorder for so many years, body thoughts definitely came up and for me, I have noticed that one of my coping mechanisms for that is instant gratification and validation. And it could be validation in anything. It could be 
finding myself posting more pictures of myself and needing validation about my physical appearance from others or validation in my work um, in, in so in almost every area of my life, just needing to this need to feel noticed. And I did a lot of work in therapy, um, which I had also started going to therapy shortly after I found out I was pregnant, actually. And I, I mean, I have been to therapy before, but like found a therapist I really, really liked in Houston. I was going to her weekly, doing a lot of work around stuff around my childhood and some of the relationships in my life and some things that had happened to me. And I'm so grateful that I did it. And it, um, I don't go to her regularly anymore. And now is a whole nother story, but therapy is, was definitely a, a huge component in my life then. And it just made me realize how much of how like one of my things is the need to be noticed. And in my childhood, there was a, there was a lot of, so I'm one of four and at times my environment was very chaotic and my older sister has mental illness. And, um, at times it was very, it could be violent and, she was struggling with her own thing. My mom was doing her best and everyone was doing their best. And I, I do have forgiveness and love for all of that. But for me, it was very hard. It was very hard to not only have super duper middle child syndrome, even though I'm one of four, I have an older sister and a younger sister and an older brother. So I felt like smack dab in the middle of the girls. And my brother was kind of like off on, you know, off on his own. So without giving away too much about my siblings, because they have not given me permission to do that, um, <laughs> I will just speak from my own experience in that I often kind of felt invisible. And I know that wasn't my mom's intention or anything like that, but, um, and, you know, overall, I did have a very loving, fulfilling um, childhood, and I have a lot of great memories. But I do, I do know that that seed, that little bit of baggage I picked up then, and the way that I was often noticed by my mom or times that she had time to give me attention was when we were cooking or cleaning. Um, and I, I always enjoyed cleaning. And I'm not sure if it's because it was helpful to my mom and she, I got validation in that way or I'm just like have the DNA to like cleaning. I'm not sure. Um, but I have also found that that is another way that I cope um, is kind of OCD tendencies of like, you know, I can't rest until the house is clean. And that is something that I unpack and mostly with my husband <laughs> every day to this day and will continue probably. So anyway, probably inconsequential information there. But in the middle of like, you know, working and being postpartum and having anxiety for the first time, trying so many different ways to cope with it. I I tried CBD. I tried all different kinds of CBD, different doses of CBD, different applications of CBD. Um, gosh, I, I just tried everything like homeopathically to work for my anxiety. And it was like a lot of little band-aids I needed every single day to feel like I was going to be okay. And so I'm not sure if they were just like ritualistic, borderline OCD kind of if not full-blown OCD, um, manifestations to, to trick my mind into thinking, okay, if you do this, this, and this, like, you're going to be okay today. And if any of those things didn't happen, I was super anxious. If I forgot my, um, what is that spray called? 
rescue remedy. <laughs> if I forgot my rescue remedy, it's going to be a bad day. And so I'm not sure if it was like, actually I didn't have my rescue remedy and it was a bad day. Or if I was just like creating that experience for myself. And so, I don't know. It's just kind of interesting to look at that. Um, but I continued with my Waldorf uh, teacher training as well, which I mentioned in the last episode with me, which I had started that summer that I was pregnant with Sage. And the first summer being pregnant was hard, but it was not nearly as hard as when I went back in the fall and the spring when he was a baby and I took him with me. And then over the summer, last summer, so summer 2019, I took him with me as well for three weeks. And that summer was crazy because something happened with my family and my mom and my dad ended up having to leave Houston suddenly. And they have lived here for 30 plus years. I was born. No, I wasn't born here. That's not true. Um, (laughs) I was born in New York, but we moved here in Houston shortly after I was born. So they had to move back upstate to New Jersey and live with my aunt. And that was all happening while my mom was watching my children or you know, two of them while I had the baby in New York. And it was bizarre. Like it was just bizarre that that was happening. And it felt like nothing was going right. My life was like falling apart in every area. (laughs) And it's interesting to me though, because I was 28 and in anthroposophy, which is the philosophy that informs Waldorf education, which if you don't know what either of those things are, Google it. I totally recommend, especially if you're a parent. Anyway, um, in anthroposophy, Rudolf Steiner, who created the philosophy, believes that humans, and I mean a lot of other philosophies believe this as well, including science, um, that humans are kind of revolving in this like seven-year cycle. Your bones regenerate every seven years. Um, Humans go through major developmental changes every seven years, especially in childhood, so at seven 14 and 21. 21 is when your prefrontal cortex is fully developed and you like really actually start thinking like an adult and can fully think logically. So 28 is another one of those um, seven-year cycles as well. And it kind of just felt like someone took my purse out from under me and dumped it all upside down. And I was picking up the pieces, trying to remember everything that I had in the bag. (laughs) That's what my life felt like, and it didn't. I didn't realize it at the time. I kind of knew, like, okay, things are hard right now. Oh, I just turned twenty-eight. That's super interesting, but obviously, like, in, like, what what is the saying? Hindsight's twenty-twenty. <laughs> it's so true, and I I just did my best, and I got through the summer training, and I went back to school at the school I was teaching at, and here here in Houston. And Sage would no longer be in the classroom with me, and I was super excited. And I had started yoga back up again over the summer. And me and my yoga practice, which maybe I will take a a turn here. Me and my yoga practice go back to 2013, and I started practicing when me and my husband were living in the city here in Houston, in Montrose, if you know what that is. And I was going to a studio here, a studio I still practice with to this day, actually, but I was going there and I was cooking. I was cooking. I, <laughs> I was cooking, but I was a cook and um, I was working food trucks and then I got a job at a restaurant and then I got a job at a fine dining restaurant and I loved it. And I was vegan 
And I was in my eating disorder. And I didn't realize at the time that I was in my eating disorder. And I have discussed this briefly. And I mention it often, like, with people I interview. But I used veganism as a way to participate in my eating disorder with full rationalization and justification. And I was – I will not stop making jokes about this about myself. Well, it's not even a joke. It's just for real. (laughs) I was – the annoying vegan that tied veganism to morality. I was the annoying vegan that could not have a conversation with you without telling you I was vegan. Like that was me. And I was the I was the self-righteous vegan all over Facebook and Instagram and oh you love animals but you eat meat? That doesn't make sense. Like that was that was me. So I'm here to apologize. <laughs> Because when you know better, you do better. And I will never do that again. Because judging is just not the way you get people to come along. I have learned that the extremely hard way. You get more bees with honey than you do with vinegar, says my mom. Anyway. (laughs) So I was definitely using veganism for the wrong reasons. And full disclaimer here, okay? There's nothing inherently wrong with veganism for some people, maybe. Maybe some people, because I I never say never, maybe some people can be vegan and eat intuitively. Great. I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy for anyone. That sounded really condescending. It's not, I promise. I'm so happy for anyone that finds a way of eating that fully nourishes them. And I mean like your soul, your mental and emotional health, your physical health, all of it. Like if you can be happy and be vegan and eat food and maybe hopefully not even think about it that much and not feel like you're missing out on anything, then maybe that is the right food choice for you. But that wasn't the case for me. And if maybe for you eating vegan um, means conscious like having to often think about like oh I can't have this or I can't have that or put you in this state of thinking about food too much and it's causing a little bit of uh, like extra stress I would maybe encourage you and invite you to look at that and see if it's really serving you and if it's coming from the right place and that goes for any restrictive diet for cutting out gluten for um being vegetarian even for cutting out meat And I don't want to, because I, I mean, and I justified it by saying like, oh, well, the meat industry is a horrible industry and I don't want to hurt animals and I want to save animals and cows are so cute and cows are so cute. But you know what is also cute? Me being a healthy human. And I cannot love and take care of and be a beautiful light in the world for cows if I cannot love and take care of and be a beautiful light for myself. And it took me so long to realize that. And so I have so much empathy for anyone that's going through that. And if you have any, like, any thought that ever comes up that thinks, oh, maybe I don't have a healthy relationship with food. And when I say a healthy relationship with food, I mean that food is food. And you don't think about it all day. If you think about food all day, I want to urge you to maybe reach out to someone anyone me I'm not a dietitian but I would love to listen to you or any of the dietitians I've interviewed I can totally recommend them I have multiple dietitians in Houston if you're in Houston email me at the way you are project at gmail.com 
for anything. Seriously, I'm here for you guys. This is like why I do this work is to connect with people. So anyway, I was vegan and doing yoga like six times a week. And it's hot. It's a hot vinyasa um, flow style of yoga. Baptiste yoga is what I practice um, primarily. And back then, intu- like moving my body intuitively was not something that I knew how to do or did. Or I didn't listen to my body. I never listened to my body. I think, if, I think when I did listen to my body and it was telling me, oh, hey, you want to eat a cheeseburger? And I did and went down the shame spiral and felt, you know, whatever way about it. That, that was my body talking to me. And I ignored it and was like, no, I'm vegan. And so I didn't listen to my body in yoga. And it was a very different relationship then than what I have now with yoga. And it's the same exact practice. But it was me. It was me. That was different. I don't want to say wrong, but coming at it from a place that was harmful. And then the first, one of the eight limbs in yoga um, is what's called the yamas. And it's how you relate to the world. And the first yama is ahimsa, which means nonviolence. And it is, in my personal opinion, very humble personal opinion, one of the most important, if not the most important things that inform a, a full yoga practice. And when, when I talk about yoga, I mean it as a full eight limbs of yoga. So not only asana, which is the physical postures and poses, But meditation, pranayama, which is breath, the yamas, the niyamas, all of that, all of the eight limbs. So I was not practicing ahimsa then. And I thought I was practicing ahimsa for animals. But I could could not. What I was doing and how I was living my life was not aligning with ahimsa. And I come... Okay, so let's see. I was doing yoga for all the wrong reasons. I wanted to sweat. I wanted to be thin like the other girls in the class. I wanted to be good in quotes. I wanted to be good. I danced in my life and, you know, I didn't do a lot of sports because I did volleyball, I guess, but like I didn't do a lot of competitive stuff. Well, no, I didn't do teams. Like, I don't know. All of that was actually um, contradictory what I just said. So ignore it. Okay. (laughs) But I am very type. A and very like push and do the most and like show out and let's like you know do your best all the time and I'm very also hyper flexible and just naturally and so I remember back then like even on my old Instagram if you have time to scroll down to 2012 2013 it's like all my posts are like of me doing tree and dancer and uh freaking what is it called standing split and half pigeon and king pigeon and forearm stand and you know like which those poses are are there's nothing wrong with those poses and there's nothing wrong with people that post pictures of those poses but I was trying to be an Instagram yogi y'all and that is not what yoga is about for me it's not how it serves me and so when I found out I was pregnant with Zelda I stopped doing yoga Um, and that's also like I've mentioned to you all before, that's when I've reached out to a therapist, um, and got my final 
not final, my formal first diagnosis of bulimia. And I, um, so I picked up yoga in spring or summer 2019. Either way, it was really as a way to honestly have some time to myself if I'm remembering correctly, because it was really hard to coordinate Philip's time off and my time off. Um, he was working, managing a restaurant at the time. And so he worked weekends and I didn't. And so I found myself going once a week to back to the same studio. And I found a teacher there that I loved. And I went every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. And it really helped me slowly find my way back into my practice. And physically, it came to me pretty easily, like remembering everything again. And that was the beginning of, or at least being handed the key to my healing or healing from what I was dealing with at the time. And so I continued my practice as one of the things that I had to do to feel like I was going to be okay. And so summer passed and went back to school in the fall and both kids had a classroom and it was going to be great and school would be better this year and I would be better and all the things. And it just turned out to be different. (laughs) It just turned out to not be that way. And very shortly into the school year, I found myself very challenged, very just having a really hard time. And this isn't to place blame anywhere. It's just to speak my truth in that. It was ho- it was just difficult. And there were so many factors. A lot of things that, you know, were out of my control. Some were in my control. But honestly, all of it was kind of out of my consciousness. And so I, I was just miserable. And it ended up not being a place for me anymore for many reasons. And I started getting these intuitive messages kind of from the heavens, if you will, that this like, that I wasn't meant to be there anymore, that it was not the place for me anymore. And it broke my heart. And still when I think about it, it really breaks my heart because I love those kids so much. And I really believed that those children who I had had since they were 18 months and two years old, I was part of their karmic plan and I couldn't imagine leaving them or their parents that I had grown so close with, but I couldn't be at that school anymore. I, I just couldn't. I was, I really feel like I was dying, soul dying, everything dying. <laughs> and so through seeing the psychiatrist who had put me on different anxiety medication and ADHD medication to help with my anxiety, I was under more stress than ever. And I started to lose a lot of weight. And I believe that my body's physiological response to stress or one of is freeze, is just to shut down. And I had total food apathy. Any kind of motivation for my day was constructed and came from the medication. And it really... It's still kind of hard to talk about this stuff, but I think it needs to be said for me and for any anyone else, maybe one other person. And I don't regret taking medication. I think at the time it, it got me through what I needed to get through, but also 
even things that are good or beneficial have downsides. And I, I do believe in things having kind of a shelf life, like a job can serve you and be the great, the greatest thing for you for a time until it's not. And then you move on. That doesn't mean it was a bad thing or the wrong choice or the wrong path. There's no point in labeling it that way for, for me personally, because it, I don't want to say things like it's a little bit beyond things happen for a reason. I, I think things happen and we find our way in them. We find a little bit more of us throughout that. And so it's kind of hard to say when bad things happen. Oh, things happen for a reason. Oh, it's part of a bigger thing. And also it kind of is. And that's something I'm still playing with and exactly like in what wording I want to like envelope it for myself. But I learned so, so much about myself and the world and others in this really, really hard two years that I had. And... In some ways, I'm really grateful for it. Actually, I'm just grateful for it. I'm just grateful that it's part of my journey. And while it's not my preference to go through that again, the interesting thing is I don't have to. I have a different lens now. And not that I won't struggle again in some other way, but... Okay, so a little off course. I lost a lot of weight. And people began being worried about me. I began being worried about me. And I was still going to therapy. I was in group therapy. I was in yoga group therapy. I was in yoga. I felt like I was doing everything I could do. And now I realize it all kind of came back to the fact that I was not any longer living the life I was supposed to be living. And nothing makes humans suffer quite like being somewhere they're not supposed to be doing something they're not supposed to be doing when their soul is screaming at them to be somewhere else and that's what was happening to me so I decided to leave my job in December and um, I also decided to wean myself or obviously with supervision and um, I wasn't going to have health insurance any longer. So I went to my psychiatrist and told him that, and we made a plan to wean myself off of my meds. I obviously prefer to live my daily life. I don't know if you can hear me popping my fingers. Um, <laughs> my daily life without medication. And so we began that process and something weird happened. So I was at one of my appointments with my psychiatrist And I believe I had started on one of my medications in September, maybe in the late summer. And this was now December, end of December. And he made a remark about my weight and my weight loss. And so um, I'm sure you guys know, I don't look at my weight. I don't own a scale. When I go to the doctor, I walk on backwards. I usually inform them, um, please don't read my weight out loud to me. I'm going to walk on backwards. I don't do weight. And actually the the guy that did the intake at my psychiatrist's office was great about that. He was like, cool, no worries. Like didn't make it a thing. It was exactly the way it was supposed to be. So I really appreciate him for that. Um, Until one day, this last appointment, I walked on and saw my weight. And it was a very different number than I thought it was going to be. And it was honestly quite shocking to look at. And so me and my psychiatrist talked about it and he mentioned... So this could be potentially triggering. 
but he mentioned how much weight I had lost in a short amount of time. And he began in this kind of nonchalant, conversational style way, calling me an anoretic, which I want to say is not the proper term. Um, but he started, so let's say he did use a proper term and say an anorexic. And he started just referring to me as that. And it was really hard to hear. And so essentially he was saying that I had relapsed into my eating disorder because, of course, I informed him of that. Um, but I had not participated in any behaviors consciously. So that was really dysregulating for me, really diluting. I felt like, oh, my gosh, am I participating in my eating disorder like I was when I was vegan? And I'm just, like, fooling myself. Because it's true. Like, your eating disorder is so strong. It can have you rationalize things all freaking day. And so I, I wondered, like, is that what I'm doing? And I, I still wondered that until very recently, actually. And so I kind of like, I mean, I wrote poems about it. I'm very open about my eating disorder. Like if you guys have followed me on the internet, you know that. So, because I don't think it makes me a bad person. I don't think it makes you a bad person. I don't think it makes anyone a bad person. I think, I think it's part of my, my magic, really. It's kind of part of my superpower. And I think being vulnerable like this and sharing a bunch of stuff while inside, I'm like, no one cares. Someone does. And so I'm just kind of forcing myself to show up, even at times I don't feel like showing up or question what I should share. I just am trusting that what needs to be shared will be shared and what doesn't need to be shared will not. And you can take it or leave it. So I I did end up having a conversation with a dietitian friend recently And she explained to me, one, this guy's delivery was off. Let's just, we'll just go ahead and box that up. And there's also a form of anorexia that just comes from a lack of appetite, lack of interest in food, medication. You can see it in cancer patients. And so I was experiencing something more like that. And I was not afraid of food. I was still eating intuitively. I was... I was actually kind of forcing myself to eat because I knew my medication was killing my appetite. My stress was killing my appetite. So I planned my food as much as possible and pretty much to no avail was I gaining weight um, or keeping weight on. So that was kind of reassuring to me to hear from her that it wasn't me like secretly using my eating disorder again. And um, I began using yoga as a way to heal my nervous system with my anxiety. And I remember like when I started going more regularly in December, um, I began volunteering at the yoga studio that I practice at. And so part of that, um, requirement is that I practice at the studio three times a week. So I was doing that. And in the beginning I was, after I had left my job and I was really just trying to focus on figuring out what was going on with me, I, would cry (laughs) all of all of class and the more I learned about yoga and realized it was you know releasing these stored emotions in my body and resetting my nervous system and Supta Baddha Konasana which is basically like butterfly legs laying down and typically teachers instruct you to put a hand on your heart and your chest that used to send me into a panic attack and I would be on the floor in a panic attack because I could feel my heart beating And after a full 50 minutes of vinyasa yoga, your heart is beating really fast. You're working really hard. 
But I had attached that to pa- to panic, to fear, to I'm going to have an anxiety attack again. And I, I actually <laughs> I wrote a poem about how that pose used to scare me. And then one day I noticed that that pose began feeling like my coming home and coming into my body. And that, that is the beauty of yoga, is this beautiful coming home to yourself. And it looks different every single time you hit your mat. And so I, um, I began doing a little homeschool program at my house. I was volunteering at the yoga studio. I got a job at my dream school in Reno, Nevada, near Lake Tahoe. I was going to be a pre-kindergarten teacher there. I loved the staff. I loved the school. I loved the community. I loved the city. I had traveling planned for Denver for practicum in March. I was going to start my yoga teacher training in person in April. And then coronavirus happened. And pretty much all of those things went off the table. (laughs) And honestly... With a little bit of guilt, I'm saying that this quarantine has been really monumental for me. And I know it's such a hard time for the world and for so many individuals. And my heart goes out to so many people. And my lovey, lovey, (laughs) my amazing home state of New York, my entire heart goes out to them. And... I'm a little bit happier having to slow down. And I think both of those things are okay and can exist at the same time. And we don't have to have guilt for being happy when others are not. Because others deserve that we are happy. Because that's how we make other people happy. And that's how we bring something out into the world. If we're all just freaking sad all the time, no one's going to do the work. So anyway, my offer from Nevada Sage Waldorf School in Reno, Nevada has since been revoked because of the economy and the demand for schools, the uncertainty around having school at all. And I totally understand that. And I now know that there's something else out there for me. And so I'm just walking the path until I find it. Um, I am doing my yoga teacher training online. I decided to go through with that. And it has been so monumental for me. So incredibly monumental. And my yoga practice alone started shifting huge things in me and then learning how to be a teacher and learning about yoga philosophy and learning about learning about the entire spectrum of yoga has brought an even deeper level. Sorry, I just drank a Dr. Pepper, so I'm like burping. (laughs) An even deeper level of how I relate to my practice and honestly the world and how I just live my life. And so yeah, so that brings me to why I decided to change the intro to You're Perfectly Imperfect. And I thought about this for a hot minute because I want—I kind of wanted to keep it because that, I mean, okay, if you, if you break it down, like I, I struggle with this a little bit. It's like I grew up Catholic and so we were kind of taught the only thing that could be perfect, totally flawless, infallible, it was God, Jesus, God, you know? Either one, whichever part of the Trinity you feel like talking about. (laughs) And so sometimes I I find that still hard for me to enter into humans being perfect. But maybe it's the context being that perfect is in 
attainable and unattainable unattainable but I am now learning and wanting to bring out into the world for others the belief that we are all whole complete and perfect just the way we are because I also recognize which I missed for many years the key to self-love the key to self-acceptance even starts with accepting yourself exactly as you are, exactly where you are. And as a teacher, that's what I strive to do with children is I don't go into a classroom and say, oh, let's see what I can fix here. Like I just, (laughs) my weird 1950s male voice. But of course, children have obstacles. They're individual human beings like they are going through so much in their tiny little four-year-old brains it is but it is mind-blowing and so when I'm in a room of children which honestly feels like an entirely spiritual experience I am just in awe of what they are capable of and what they need and I feel like I have these super goggles on that can just see what's unfolding in their brain other than my own daughter her I'm blind but (laughs) other people's children I can just see so perfectly clear what they're lacking or what they need or what can be brought to them in a different way to help them and and the way that I get there is by starting with unconditional love and it's so much easier to start with unconditional love for children because they're children you're like they don't know better like they're just these perfect innocent little kids like they don't even have intention behind their impulses And so when I started thinking of it like that, it started to make so much more sense because honestly, even until the past couple of weeks, it's been really hard for me to accept myself as whole, complete, and perfect. And so maybe that's where the perfectly imperfect thing came from because I felt so imperfect for so long and strived for perfection, which doesn't exist. Spoiler alert. Um, So I'm changing it to whole, complete, and perfect because that's all like something that my yoga community brought to me, my yoga teachers, my teachers in my yoga training. And that's, I want to continue that cycle and bring that out into the world. And I really think the way that we begin to love ourselves is to just begin, is to just proclaim and declare and recognize we are whole, complete, and perfect exactly as we are, regardless of what mistakes you've made or what shortcomings you think you've had or faults you think you have, you are whole, complete, and perfect just the way you are. And from there, that power and love from me and from yourself, from anyone, especially from yourself, that is where you can pull out the magic and put it out into the world. Because the, the only other option is you're not whole, complete, and perfect. You're lacking. And you can't, that lacking doesn't bring, well, I almost knocked my mic over with my vocal hands. You can't bring change and empowerment from a place of lack. You can't bring anything from a place of lack. And if you live in this place where you low-key feel you're imperfect, there's no possibility there. There's lack. And you don't have any, you're not lacking anything. You are 100% equipped to do what you were sent here to do and you were sent here to do something very specific 
And one day you will hear what that very specific thing is and you will do it. And you cannot do it if you are not prescribing to the belief that you are whole, complete, and perfect. Not when you reach X weight. Not when you eat a certain type of way. Not when you get a certain job or whatever. Now, right now. So I invite you to take that on for yourself and try it on. Even if it feels like the most fake thing, because it might for you. It did for me. Um, just try it on and keep trying it on. I had a conversation with a friend in my yoga teacher training the other day. And we were talking, it was our anatomy weekend. And I actually got a lot out of it from my own body relationship out of that class. And I discovered that I have hyperextended elbows <laughs> and very just flexible joints. Like I mentioned earlier, I think I was going to say in another episode, but it was literally 30 minutes ago. Um, and so I realized like, oh, like I just have to do certain poses differently to not bring pain to my body or cause injury because my body is just made differently. Like literally my bones are just different there. And so I was talking with her. And she said she was kind of going into the training thinking like, oh, when I come out of this, like my body's going to be different. I might lose weight. I might be stronger, more toned. And then learning anatomy, she said this, and it is so golden. In quotes, my body doesn't need to be different. My body is different. Your body is different than my body or her body or your neighbor's body or your sister's body. Your body is so different and it isn't your fault and it isn't your responsibility. It just is. And you don't have to change it at all. Just like the wall right in front of me is just a wall. And it looks that way because that's the way it was built. I'm not going to go knocking it down. It's a perfectly good wall. It does its job. It holds up my roof, holds up the door frame. Your body is a perfectly good body. And it was the one that was picked for you. Picked exactly for you down to your DNA to serve you on the very specific path that you have that you get to figure out. You have that body for that work. And it's just a motherfucking body. It hasn't, it's not you. You are so much bigger than that. You are so much bigger than what you look like, than even your job or the titles you bring to yourself or your accolades or your failures or your DUIs. You are so much bigger than that. DUIs is just an example. I don't know. It just popped in my head. But... And I still believe that is true. But the thing is, you have to listen. And your body doesn't have to be different. It is different. And that is motherfucking freedom. As Tina Templeman would say, boom, baby. Like a mic drop. Okay. Not many of you will get that. That's fine. So I'm going to wrap up here and just say that, you know, I don't know a lot, 
right now. I don't think many of us do. We don't know how this pandemic is going. We don't know what it will look like when things go back to normal, in quotes. We don't know if yoga studios will ever look the same. We don't know if social interaction will ever look the same, ever. We don't know where we're, like, a lot of us don't know where we will be working in a month. We're in two weeks. We're in six months. I don't know if I'll have a school for my children next year. I don't know if I'll have a job. All I know is I have what I do know, which is my intuition and my listening and my knowing from up. And you have that too, if you can call it something different, but... I have done so much learning and growing in the past two years. And I am just so grateful to be here. Like more than ever, I'm so grateful to just have a roof over my head and food in my fridge and healthy air in my lungs and in my children's lungs and sunshine outside. It's a beautiful day in Houston, Texas. And I I strive to come every day into a place or come out into the day from a place of unconditional love for myself and for others. And so from now on in this podcast, that's how I strive to show up in my life, all of it. And I don't know what the rest of that will look like. And I, I also, I'm kind of just done needing answers. Like that part of me has kind of grown out too. I have really surrendered. And like this, this quarantine and this pandemic has really, really, really helped me with that. And it's something I needed so badly. Not only to slow down, but just to learn how to surrender, to be reminded that really things are always uncertain. Things are equally always uncertain as they are right now. We are just having a different experience and a different lens of that uncertainty. And I realized more than ever that the plans I made, my plans to travel to Denver, my plans to move my family across four states, it doesn't matter. That's not it. And letting go of what any, what any of that means was so freeing for me and really just surrendering to what is. And what is is that I'm at home with my children and I'm doing one thing one day at a time. So that about wraps up, I think, where I've been and what I've gone through and where I'm at now. And I... I I do, I will insert here quickly, and I'll probably elaborate this in a future episode, but the pandemic has been challenging on my eating disorder. It has been. Um, the first couple of weeks when people were panic buying and shelves were empty and grocery stores couldn't keep up with stocking the shelves, it was really hard. So if it was hard for you, like, I see you, man. It was, it was anxiety inducing to go to the grocery store it just now recently has started to be like a little bit more normal for me which I don't know if that's weird or not but um yeah a lot of a lot of kind of like thoughts came up in the beginning of this and I really have always touted like I am fully recovered (laughs) and now I just I know better and I'm just I'm going at it differently and for me I know that I do have food freedom and I have a great relationship with food, but I do still have Im- like images. I do still have negative body image days or negative body thoughts or not eating disordered thoughts, but thoughts that come from my eating disorder voice. And that doesn't make me wrong and that doesn't make me 
bad. That doesn't make me unworthy of being someone's friend or a dangerous person to take care of someone's child. Like, no, no, not at all. If anything, like I said, I think that that adds to me parts of me that are supposed to be me. So that is also something that I have learned is that, and I think I mentioned this probably in an episode before, but I really prescribe to the belief that eating disorder recovery is kind of like a cliff. And I apologize for not remembering the author that originally wrote this metaphor. It might be Jenny Schaefer, but that might be really wrong. So I'm sorry. If anyone knows, please let me know. Um, but that eating disorder recovery is like a cliff and you can get far away from the cliff. You can get really close to the cliff. And in December when I was really sick, I was really close to the cliff without even meaning to be. And so before, two years ago, you know, when I first started this podcast or three years ago, I guess, I was really, really, really far away from the cliff, could barely see the cliff, thought I would never, ever, ever struggle with food or body images, body image thoughts ever again. And now I'm not, I'm still pretty far away from it, but I see it and I experience it. And that's the way that it is. And it's a constant, you know, coming home to who I am and my values and reevaluating my intentions. And every time getting on my yoga mat, thinking, am I doing this because I want to be more myself or because I want to change myself? Or why am I doing this practice? Do I want to rest? Do I want to move? And just coming at everything with such curiosity and not judgment and just noticing. And honestly, my yoga practice and my meditation practice have put me in a place to make that possible for myself. I just want to say thank you again for picking the show back up. Thank you for supporting me and listening to this and for supporting yourselves. And I invite you to take on the belief that you're a whole complete and perfect. So until next time we talk, keep being you just the way you are. Okay. So that was our show. Thank you for listening And if you liked the show, please share it with a friend or leave a rating and review on iTunes and subscribe. And you'll hear from me shortly. I love you guys. Bye.